Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Regardless of older Americans' lifestyles, their need for money management and retirement readiness is crucial. Unfortunately, the pandemic has impacted the financial status of many older adults especially those who have lost jobs and income or were planning to retire in the next several years. During these uncertain times, financial professionals can offer advice and guidance that may help this population stay financially afloat. My guest today is Jim Joseph, president of a company called Financial Services Advisory. He is going to talk about what older adults need to know when selecting a financial professional and then also offer advice and counseling about possible solutions to help maintain financial stability during the pandemic. Finally, he'll give an overview about current economic indicators and what to expect in financial markets with the new federal administration. So welcome, Jim, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great to be back with you. Well, in these uncertain times, as we call it, there are so many things to think about. But before we get into specifics of the pandemic and financial impact, I want to start by asking you a few questions about why and when should older adults select a professional to help them with their financial planning and retirement readiness? Yeah, sure. That's, you know, that's a great question. Uh, the, the easy answer is as soon as possible. And if you haven't done it yet, recommend you do it now. Uh, one of the big, well, there's a couple of misconceptions about when you should select a professional. One of the misconceptions is that you need to be very wealthy to, to be able to engage with a, with a financial advisor or financial planner. Another one is that, you, that people feel like they have to have somewhat of a complicated situation in order to make it work. And, and quite frankly, neither of those, neither of those are true. Uh, clients that come to us are from all walks of life, whether it's lower income, lower assets, all the way to high income, high assets. And, and, and if, you, if you find a good financial advisor, they're gonna give you ideas. They're gonna give you ideas you haven't really thought about. So, you know, in the, in the big picture, when people are really trying to figure out what they wanna do, they really should be sitting down with someone, map it out, and and kind of come up with a game so as i said if you haven't done it yet there's no time like the present to go and find somebody to work with and to that point then jim not only the the idea of financial planning and retirement readiness 
There are so many different types of financial planning companies out there. Um, how can an older adult or older adults generally identify the right one for them? Well, that gets a little more tricky. Now, what I always recommend is, you know, a great place to start is just talking with friends and family. Uh, there's a really good chance that, that you know somebody who's already working with someone and maybe they've been working with someone for a very long time. And they're very happy with those people. Uh, so that's a great place to start. I would say for my firm, 99% of the clients that we've got uh, that, that have come to us over the last 40 years have, have been referrals from existing clients. It could be you know, a brother, a mother, a sister, a cousin, a veterinarian, <laughs> really. It's, it, it comes from all directions. Uh, so that would be my first suggestion is just start with a friend and, and go check into what they're up to. And you don't have to get personal. You certainly don't have to dig into their assets and their situation, but just what about their advisor do they, do they really appreciate? Uh, some of the things to be looking for are, is the, is the advisor proactive versus reactive? If you have somebody who's constantly checking in and letting you know, whether it's personal phone calls or just general emails, letting you know about things that are happening out there that you need to be aware of. Those are the kind of folks that will, will keep you sort of on task and on point for the information that's out there because it's constantly changing. Uh, if you're more of sort of a self-starter and you want to do your own research, there are several resources out there. Uh, one is the CFP board, which is Certified Financial Planning Board, CF, CFP board or CFP.net. Uh, the FPA, the Financial Planning Association, is another uh, is another organization that you can kind of check into. Once you do find somebody, because in either of those sites, you can search for people that are local if you prefer local. Uh, but once you do find someone, you can then go to a to a you can Google broker check, and broker check allows you to dig in a little deeper on the individual that you're looking at. And, and they will tell you if there's any, what we call disclosures on a particular individual. So if you go to broker check, you find the individual by name or by firm, you can see what the record is. You can see what their story is. Have they had any run-ins? Have they had any arbitration cases? Those are things that you can kind of dig into and just do a little bit more research on your own to see if that would be somebody you want to work with. The other, the other thing that we always tell clients is CFP, which again stands for Certified Financial Planner, that is somewhat of the gold standard out there in the advisor community. And every certified financial planner out there should be following a fiduciary capacity. They, they need to be fiduciaries. And what a fiduciary essentially means in simple terms is the advisor needs to do what's in the best, best interest of their clients, not of themselves. So that's a really important sort of distinction be between most advisors out there and certified financial planners, CFP. So if you see the CFP after someone's name, that, uh, that, that's where you want to be kind of narrowing your search. I would also ask you, Jim, is kind of as a sub-question to, to this, is should uh, older adults also kind of be looking for what the philosophy is of the financial planning company and because I'm assuming that that would be a pretty important question once they find something is to, is this going to be a company that the, the attitude about how they're going to help the older adult coincides with what the older adult wants to do, whether they want to be more uh, 
investing, doing a lot of investing, or they want to save more. Is, is, is that a part of what people should be thinking about when looking for a financial planning company? Yes, Cheryl, you're uh, you're spot on. I mean, you want to once you once you do identify or get a few names, whether it's from friends or family, or you do your own research and kind of narrow down to your short list, you want to be in touch with each one of these companies and, and essentially interview them, find out how long they've been around, uh, what is their investment philosophy? Are they a very aggressive firm that just likes to take a lot of risk? Are they a more conservative firm? Uh, my experience has been with older adults, uh, you sort of go through phases of life where you go through an accumulation phase and that's the years you're working, that's the years you're saving. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of like if the wheels, the cogs are turning and, and you're just kind of putting a lot of money in the coffers, you're building your nest egg. Then you get to this phase of life where you're in your preservation phase, which means you just want to hold on to what you got. You know, you see retirement five, 10 years away. And you're thinking, gosh, I cannot take a recession right now because that would derail all of my plans. So you want to make sure that that you have a philosophy that you're adopting or that you're engaging with that is going to sort of live into what is really needed for you at that time. So, yes, you're absolutely right. So you really have to do some self, some soul searching, if you will, and, and find out what what's your tolerance for risk? How do you feel you want to be handling risk going forward? But as I mentioned, most folks that are older adults that are pre-retirees, just right in front of retirement, or that are retired, uh, they need to look at things a lot differently than they did when they were in their working years. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that a little later, given the circumstances for some older adults now. But a couple more questions just in terms of the financial planning industry. Help us understand the financial planning industry regulation. And is there some way that uh, potential clients, older adults, could be sure that the company is legitimate? Yeah, there are. There are certainly some resources out there on the Internet. Uh, First of all, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the SEC, that's sort of the governing body over all financial matters and advisors, excuse me, investments. Uh, so going to the SEC's website and, and searching up a company to see where they're at and see what their story is. So obviously, if they show up there, they are registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So that's a plus. <laughs> Certainly, you want to make sure that they're there. Uh, another one, and this is more for, for, for broker dealers. Not The semantics may get somewhat confusing, but if you go to FINRA, uh, FINRA.org, F-I-N-R-A, that's another site to be able to, to search for for companies out there that you may be considering uh, working with. And as I mentioned earlier, really the third one that I think is really important because this gives you a lot of information. The first two sites I mentioned are just letting you know whether they're registered. The third site is that broker check site that I referred to. Uh, That's going to give you a lot more information about the firm. And uh, again, mentioning these disclosures. So if you come across an advisor that that has disclosures on their record, it doesn't mean that they're a bad advisor, but you want to look at the disclosure to see what was it? What was the arbitration case that happened with Jane Smith back in 2008 and how was it resolved? And that can kind of give you an idea of really what you're working with. Okay. And and I guess it would be helpful for you also, Jim, to explain these different terms. I think it's very confusing. You know, you hear a financial advisor, wealth manager, certified financial planner. You mentioned that a little bit ago, investment advisor, broker. 
give us a quick glossary of terms here so to help us understand what each one is. Yeah. Well, I will tell you, and this is the unfortunate truth about this, which is uh, in the eyes of most clients or most investors, it's really tough to decipher and, and determine what is the difference between these. And, and, and in a lot of ways, there is no difference. It's just what different people want to call themselves. Now, I will tell you that when you're talking about a financial advisor or a wealth manager, investment advisor, a lot of them are the same. They're the same folks. It's just however they want to kind of present themselves. The, the, one, the one piece that really stands out, and I mentioned it earlier, and I'll, and I'll say it again, is a certified financial planner. When you find somebody who's a certified financial planner, they have to uh, live by a code, which is a fiduciary standard. And, and a fiduciary standard, again, means that that advisor, by law, has to do what's in the best interest of their client, not what's in the best interest of themselves. And I'll give you a quick example about that. And this is maybe, maybe stereotypical, and, and forgive me for that, but it, it really just kind of points out the radical um, example. But if you have you know, a, a woman in her 80s who's a widow, say, for example, and she has a lot of money, let's say she has two, three, four million dollars. If she's working with an advisor, and that advisor says, hey, I think you should invest in options, which in some cases could be a very risky uh, investment. From a suitability standard, meaning is she suitable for that investment? You could argue, yeah, she's suitable for that investment. She has enough money for it. Uh, if she takes a loss, no big deal. But a fiduciary would come in and say, gosh, okay, she might be suitable for it, but is that really the right thing for her? Does she need that? And that's the biggest difference between most of these advisors that you hear out there and certified financial planners. So if you're on your search and you're out there looking, certified financial planner, as I mentioned, is the gold standard. That's what you want to find. I also wanted to ask you, Jim, about the the minimum amount of money older adults should have to make financial planning worthwhile. Again, we're going to talk a little bit later about what circumstances are right now financially. But just in general, what do you advise uh, potential clients as to what they might want to have already uh, to go through the process of financial planning? Well, this is a very interesting question because this could apply differently for different people. Uh, in, 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 a, in a very simply stated, there is really no minimum that people need to feel like they need to have in order to engage in a financial planning process. Uh, financial planning makes sense, just like estate planning, insurance planning, all of these different types of things you wanna go through. It makes sense at all stages of wealth or all stages of income. There is, unfortunately, some firms, they have minimums themselves. So in order to work with some firms, they may say, here's what we're looking for. Here's our target client. But you, you wanna just keep looking. The other thing firms will do is you can pay them just for a financial plan. So if you're really just looking to get your ducks in a row, understand where you are today and what you need to do to get to where you want to be tomorrow, paying one fee for a financial plan, uh, most firms will, will take that versus you know, having to be some sort of an ongoing client from an investment management uh, standpoint. So I think that's, that's I'll give you an, uh, an example. I met with a husband and wife uh, one time and they, they felt like they didn't have enough. They were just like, yeah, we just, we don't know what to do. We, we don't have enough to be working with you, number one. Number two, our income 
is not as much as our expenses. So our expenses are exceeding our income. We're running out of money quickly. And when I was able to sort of look at their balance sheet and their income statement, just kind of talk with them, I found out that you know their mortgage alone was, was way, way, way too high, the rate they were paying. And if we were able to refinance at current rates, it actually was able to put them in a situation where now their expenses are below their income because their mortgage rate would, their mortgage payment would drop considerably. And so that put them in a situation without having to earn any more money, without having to save any more or spend any less. We were just able to take what they had and morph it into something that made a lot of sense. And, and they, you know, they were able to refinance and make it work. So that's an example of, you, you should, it doesn't matter how much you have, just get out there and talk to somebody. And sometimes they can just work with what you've got. Well, and and you just mentioned about looking at their balance sheet or whatever, kind of leads me to my next question. So when when you actually meet with a potential client, what kinds of information and documents do you request that they provide so that you have a sense of how to help them? Well, anybody that comes to me for the first meeting, you know, I, I specifically ask them to not bring anything, really. I just want, I want to get to know them and I want them to get to know us as a firm. And so my, I would encourage folks to just really use that first meeting as a shaking hands, understanding philosophies, understanding how they trade, how they invest money, how they handle planning, what their firm is all about, how many people they have working where there, uh, how many advisors they have, how many folks are on the investment team. That first meeting should really be about just understand, like an interrogation in a way, you know, where you just want to understand everything you can about that particular uh, firm that, you, that, you're, that you're interested in. Let's assume that you get through that meeting and, and you're very happy. You're ready to take sort of the next step. You're, you've gone through your first date. Now you're ready for the second date. Uh, at that meeting, you definitely want to bring information. And that's going to allow the advisor to, in a snapshot, be able to see what your situation is and, and be able to suggest a solution that's going to make sense for you. Not necessarily every single single uh, you know ground floor recommendation, but essentially you know here's how we can we can go under this set of circumstances. We can look at a financial plan. We can look at investment management. Maybe we consider based on how you're investing that we do this style mix or this risk level. So that would include you know a balance sheet, and I and I don't want people to worry about wait a balance sheet. How do I pull that together? Really, a balance sheet is just what are your assets. You know, what are your investments that are out there? Your bank account, maybe your brokerage account, your 401k, uh, those types of things. The second thing you would want to have is uh, sort of an income statement. So income is not only the money that's coming in the door that you're bringing in, whether that's Social Security or if you're still working, the, the income from that or a pension. Uh, but also, you know, what are your expenses? What do, how much do you spend a month? How's that, how's that kind of build up every, every, every month? because that's going to be able to help understand from a financial planning standpoint where you are. Uh, an easy way to kind of pull a lot of this stuff together is just grab your account statements, really, your bank account statements, your brokerage account statements, bring all that to the meeting on that second meeting and be able to show everything. And then that advisor should be able to take all that information and, and build a bit of a proposal for you. Is that also then at the second meeting kind of where the discussion begins about, and I'm assuming this would be the financial planner, 
learning from the older adult as to whether the the new client wants to add to their wealth or protect what they already have? How, how do you uh, find that out from this new person that you're going to be working with? Usually at that first meeting, that get to know you meeting, uh, again, if you're sitting across a table from, from a good advisor, they're going to want to understand that about you. So not only explaining what they do as a firm, but also understanding you as an investor, what are you looking for? Because when you get together with a firm, it has to be a mutual match. You know, you may want to work with a firm, but the firm may feel they can't add value to your situation. And that has to be sort of discussed up front or vice versa. You know, the firm may want to work with you very much, but you just don't feel like their scenario or their, their approach is right for you. So a lot of those sort of, you know, who are you? What's your story? What's your risk tolerance? You know, how do you look at, how do you look at life uh, from a financial standpoint? All of that stuff should really be happening in that first meeting, because once you get through that first meeting, you you have to then decide, do I even want a second meeting? Once you get to the second meeting, you're really at that point have committed and you've said, OK, I'm in, you know, I'm off to the races. Let's do this. And so that second meeting is really just about information gathering. So they're wanting to gather really uh, the balance sheet, the income statement, all of the statements to see where you are financially. And then from there, what? What we do at our firm is then we start to build a roadmap from there and say, okay, from here, let's consolidate the assets, let's move them here, let's make your situation first and foremost uh, less complicated, let's simplify, let's consolidate where it makes sense to consolidate. And then from there, let's start the financial planning process. I want, I have a lot more questions for you. I want to talk to your HR department about your 401k, what's your match, all of your pension company, what all of that information then starts after that second meeting. And then you, you, know, you, you kind of move on from there. And sort of as a follow-up question to that, Jim, then as you're preparing this roadmap, if you will, do you continue then, like at your firm, to um, consult every day with, or not every day, but frequently as to how to to do whatever it is they want, either to add to their wealth or protect what they already have. Um, I think that's important to understand exactly kind of what the process would be once the roadmap is is established. Yeah, boy, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that question uh, because I think that is a very important piece for for investors or, or clients, potential clients, to understand. Uh, I think years and years ago, 20 years ago, I remember when we used to do financial plans, we would create this big booklet, it, you know, be 120 pages long, their entire life would be in there. And it said, essentially, here's your map, go. And you'd give it to somebody. And it was really up to them to con continue to monitor and stay on top of it. Uh, we have found that that doesn't work, you know, because what happens, you get this big booklet and it sits on the shelf. It goes there and nobody looks at it again. Nobody touches it again. It just sits there. So what we do with our clients, for example, and this is what I would encourage uh, most investors to, to do with their advisors is because life is a moving target, you have to stay on top of this. It, it has to be a living, breathing sort of exercise or experience. So when you do this up front, you go through this financial planning process, it's going to tell you about where you're at today and where you want to be. and Are you on track? If the answer is yes, well, then you can stress test it a little bit and say, well, what if I spent a little more? How would that impact? Or the flip side, let's say it, it doesn't work. It, it's showing that the plan is going to struggle. Well, then you start to look at, all right, how can we 
cut back? How can we earn more? How can we save more? How can we change our risk tolerance to potentially earn more in the market? Those are the types of things that you want to constantly revisit throughout either the year or over years. You know, at our firm, we have an, a standard annual review that we do with every client. And we cover all of those things because it's, it's kind of like flying from here to California. You want to make sure that you're course correcting along the way. The wind may be different, you know, flying over the Midwest than it was than you anticipated at the beginning. So you have to course correct along the way. Uh, and, and that's really what the whole financial planning process is about. It's not a one and done. It's really trying to stay on top of it year after year after year so that you can dial in as you get closer to retirement or even beyond. Okay, well, we're going to take a break right here. This is very helpful because this is a good lead-in after the break to start talking about what changes are occurring in today's economy with so many factors involved. So um, I just want to tell our listeners, remind them again, we're talking with Jim Joseph, president of Financial Services Advisory. And of course, you are listening to WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters is brought to you in part by Kathy Corridan, Senior Real Estate Specialist. Kathy is a realtor with KW Metro Center in Alexandria and works with seniors in Alexandria, Arlington, and D.C. to make selling their home and moving less stressful and more successful. More information is available at 703 971-7237 or ccatkw at gmail.com. Welcome back. We're talking with Jim Joseph, president of a company called Financial Services Advisory. First part of the program, we talked about normal conditions of what we need to know about the financial planning world and retirement readiness. But Quite frankly, as we know, we are not in a normal world right now. So, Jim, let's start talking about today's economy. It's it's kind of a mishmash. Uh, what what are you suggesting? What could financial planners, in general, uh, offer uh, in insofar as how to protect a client's portfolio? Well, that's a great that's a great question. The uh... You know, I think out there in the investment world, there's really two approaches, either passive, which is more of a buy and hold kind of approach, or there's an active approach, which means you're in and out of things as, as market conditions dictate. If you, if you talk about the passive approach, the more buy and hold approach, to protect the client's portfolio, given today's environment, you really have to uh, diversify. You know, make sure that you're diversified because you have to understand that you're going to ride all the ups and you're going to ride all the downs. And so when you're in a situation where you are diversified, the idea is that when something is going down, you hope that something else is going up and it, and it just kind of spreads the risk out among your portfolio. And the other side of the, of the coin is, is around active management. This is, this is actually what our firm does. We, we are an active manager, meaning uh, we, we buy and sell given what's, what's going on in the market. So the idea is that you get in when the getting is good. When the markets are doing well, you, you, you put money into the market. But you have these safety nets in place. It's, you know, it's an exit strategy. In fact, we call it at our firm the FSA safety net. 
you have these safety nets in place that as things begin to fall, as your investments begin to fall, they hit these little triggers, they hit these little safety nets. And, and we use that as an opportunity to either reduce the position that we're in or, or get out entirely. And, and that, that kind of approach has really saved us, uh, whether it was the crash of 87, uh, the tech bubble that happened back in 2000, 2001 and 2002, the recession in 2008, I remember the market fell about 40%, almost 40% that year, our clients on average were down about 2%. Uh, or, or what we just went through um, last year with the uh, coronavirus. Again, the market fell a good bit just in five weeks. And so being able to protect the portfolios was a key driver for us. And, and our clients have come to expect that. Now, I would say that for, again, back to my point I made earlier, when you're in your accumulation phase of your life, when you're earning money and you're saving money and you're sort of younger, to have, in my opinion, more of a passive buy and hold approach can work just well, very well, in fact, your dollar cost averaging and your investments. When you get to the age when you're in your 50s and, and you see retirement, you know, five, 10 years away, or, or you are already retired, I think an active approach or part of your portfolio to be in, in an active approach makes perfect sense because what you're doing is you're trying to protect what you have. Most investors cannot sustain a huge recession when they're already retired. Some can, some are that wealthy, they can, they can hold on to that, but most cannot. And so you have to have some sort of approach that has an exit strategy. And like I said, some sort of safety net that helps you get through the volatile times. And I would suspect then, since when I refer to older adults, there are so many different categories. So I want to get your feedback on the different groups that have had to experience this pandemic. So I'd like to start, first of all, with respect to your clients, what's been the impact of the pandemic on the financial status of older adults who are currently retired and maybe have some sources of income, social security or pension or whatever? What does that look like for, for that group of older adults? Well, you know, every client is going to be different. Every situation is going to, to be different. You know, I, I look at it, you know, the impact of this pandemic has had sort of a, an emotional impact on people. I also think it's had a financial impact on people. The emotional side is just this roller coaster ride that, that people are feeling and seeing with the market is bringing on a lot of anxiety. It's, it's causing people in some cases to really freak out. <laughs> you know, they want to pull all their money to cash or they want to you know, they want to jump in front and just they're, they're trying to predict what's going to happen. And it's just it's really messing with people's minds, especially folks that are already retired that have no other income coming in. They're really depending on their portfolio to carry them on for the rest of their life. So anxiety is, is a big one. We're seeing that uh, not necessarily with our clients, again, because we weren't impacted that much by this pandemic in terms of the financial side of things. But I could see that Folks that come to us lately, newer clients that are coming to us that have gone through this roller coaster rider, you know, just really spooked. Uh, if you're in a situation for clients that have just kind of wrote it out and kind of, you know, despite the anxiety, just kind of hung in there. Ironically, markets are back to where they were. We are back to new highs at this point. And so if you were able to kind of kind of tough it out and stomach it, uh, you know, it worked out. Now, you didn't know that. And I think if I would have asked anybody back in March when the market had fallen, you know, 40% in five weeks, I don't think anybody back then felt that it was going to rebound the way it did. But, but it has. 
so the impact of this pandemic, ironically, hasn't really impacted many people other than emotionally just going through the roller coaster. The big concern, I think, is, is how sustainable is this? Is this market able to continue to maintain this trajectory that it's on? With the spending that the government is doing, we've got a change of administration. Some of the policies could tighten things up for the market. Uh, that's one of the big questions. And so really for most investors, it's are you in the right approach that can sustain more volatility going forward or another recession? Those are the things that people need to be concerned about. So just so I understand, the group of older adults that I was just mentioning that get their income from, as you had mentioned, Social Security or pensions or other, and they have been able to ride it out, would you advise then that they kind of just stay tuned and and work together? Any any changes that they should consider other than watch and wait? Well, I would, my personal bias is that when you get to a certain age, and I'm going to call it, you know, 50, 55 years old and above, anything beyond that, into your 70s, into your 80s, anything beyond 55 years old, uh, you need you need to do things, you need to look at the way you invest your money differently than you did when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so if people are looking at their statements and talking to their advisors and they are finding themselves still in kind of this buy and hold with the majority of their money, this buy and hold approach that is really subject to the winds of the market, then I would suggest that they that they try to shift that a little bit, that they get into more of a what we call in the industry tactical approach or an active approach, which allows you to move in when markets are good or overweight certain areas that are doing better than others. And then most importantly, is have an exit strategy that gets you out of the market when things go bad because we nobody feels that this market can continue the way it has you know the way it's been going this last six eight months uh, indefinitely there is going to be a time when we see another side of the mountain and you want to be prepared for that especially when you're in a situation where you're collecting a pension you're collecting social security but the way that it's happened so far I mean nothing to my knowledge has been affected pensions have not been affected in this in this more recent pandemic uh, Social Security hasn't been affected in this most recent pandemic, so there isn't a need for immediate concern. Uh, but looking forward, I do feel that folks that are in a passive approach really should be looking for an active approach for a portion, if not a majority, of their nest egg. Thank you. That's very helpful. I and So I now want to move to the older adult workers in our country and quite frankly, around the world, but we'll talk most about those folks in our country who've suffered pandemic-related loss of employment and income and, and even employer-sponsored health coverage. What, what would be next steps for this population? These are the ones who are really hurting. So help us on that. Yeah. Well, some of this will sound redundant, but I think, well, the first step I feel like is you want to file for unemployment. If you were in, if you were affected uh, by loss of employment due to what happened uh, you know, with this pandemic, that'd be your first step. Uh, there's a lot of stimulus packages out there that are helping uh, folks. That, it, for a while there, I don't know if it's continuing, but for a while there, even on uh, unemployment benefits, uh, it had increased. And I'm talking about continuing to increase the, the, the larger amount there. 
Uh, obviously, if there's a health insurance and you were depending on your employer for health insurance, you know, certainly picking up the COBRA policy, which allows you to go for an additional 18 months, you may have to pay for it for yourself, by yourself, but nonetheless, you get the rates that you were under your company's plan. Uh, the second step is, is getting with an advisor. You know, if you're not with one right now, find one, ASAP, find one ASAP. If you are with one and you've suffered this sort of loss of job or you've had some sort of trigger event in your life, you want to go, you want to go talk to your advisor. There's a lot of options out there, a lot of options for help. There's, you know, but when you get down to your specific situation, you know, it might be simply about cutting your expenses, uh, finding ways to limit the gifts to the kids or, or you know, or what I find it really hard for, for folks to do is to the grandkids. Uh, but you really and, and, and even talking to your children about your situation, I find to be very helpful as well because they get it. They'll understand there may be ways that they can step in and, and help. But when you go through a situation like this, it really makes sense to circle the wagon again, reassess where you currently are and make the assumption you're not going to get employment again. You know, you want to you want to hope for the best, but you want to plan for the worst. And talking through it with somebody, including your children, is going to help you get through that get through that process. So those are kind of next steps. Have have you in your experience now in your company been able to already provide or suggest some short term solutions that could help this population? Something that they just didn't think of? Well, depending on the client, there have been. I mean, there's not a lot of options when you when you lose a job. Unfortunately, you just have to hunker down and work with what you got. Uh, there were. There were certain things in the CARES Act. Uh, there were certain things in the SECURE Act. For example, people that are over 70 years old and that age has now been moved to 72, that were taking the required minimum distribution. Uh, they don't have to any longer for that for 2020. They didn't have to do that. So we were able as an advisor to be able to counsel them and say, by not taking your required minimum distribution, this will save you a certain amount in the way of taxes. There were other situations where you can actually take advantage of the opportunity or use it as an opportunity to maybe do a Roth IRA conversion with your assets, given that it could be a year where you don't have as high of an income. So you can do a Roth conversion uh, and, and pay lower taxes on that conversion process. So it yes, the answer is yes, there were some specific things that we did with clients based on their situation, but it really came down to everybody. It's like snowflakes. Everybody was completely different and extremely unique. And you really, as an advisor, have to sit down with every single person understand what's exactly going on in their situation, and then try to find opportunity or resources to help them. I constantly keep hearing, Jim, about the low interest rates and refinancing mortgages or things like that. Is that a solution or does that still cost money for people to to, to do that? Oh, no, that's absolutely uh, you know, a solution. That's one, of, that's one of the levers that we can pull. Uh, as in my early example I gave in the discussion where we you know, were able to save somebody about $1,500 on their mortgage because they had a 15-year mortgage and we decided to stretch it out to a 30-year. And their point was, well, I'm not going to be around for 30 years. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, at least that we're working on cash flow here. And the idea is to get your cash flow, uh, your expenses lower. So if we can take a $2,700 monthly mortgage payment and make it $1,200, We'll do that as long as we possibly can. So refinancing your mortgage 
makes a lot of sense in these low rate environments. Now, I would also say that it's a lot easier to refinance your mortgage when you have an income because they're going to want pay stubs. They're going to want that kind of information from you. It's a little trickier if you are in a position where you're already unemployed or you're retired. They look at, they look at this, they, you know, the banks are always looking at their risk. And if you don't have income, that's a little bit of a riskier proposition for them. So yes, refinancing your mortgage, especially in these low rates. And I'll say one other thing. Usually, if you can shave a, a full percent off of your mortgage. So for example, if you're if you have a mortgage right now at 4.5%, and you know you can get under three and a half percent, that is a slam dunk, no brainer. And your break even point is typically, you know, within a couple of years. And the break even point is, is how much you're going to save on your monthly mortgage versus the closing costs, or in other words, the cost of doing that refinance. That typically is under two years. So in most cases, it makes perfect sense to do a right a refinance. And how about people who were ready to retire and kind of, gee, a couple more years and I'll be able to to retire? I'm sort of putting that in yet maybe a third category. Has there been anything that has been able to be done to mitigate the catastrophic impact on these, on, on this particular group that was ready to retire and now not certain? What are you finding? Well, this is the unfortunate truth. And we saw this back in the recession back in 2008 as well, where you've had people that were about to retire that found themselves not able to because they lost a third of their assets in a year. Uh, or you found people that had already retired just prior to the recession back in 2008, and they were not able to recover. You know, they lost, and, and, and in some cases, they were, they're trying to find work again. You know, imagine that having come out of retirement. You worked your entire life for the golden years, and here you are finding yourself having to come back into retirement. So a lot of the planning that we do with clients is trying to get them set up so that they have options, so that they're not forced to do something, so that they have the option to do something. So for folks, you know, with this most recent pandemic, for most folks that were able to ride it out, uh, you know, it actually worked out okay. Uh, it worked out, you know, the markets are back to where they were, assuming they haven't lost lost their job already. For the people that have already lost their job or that were impacted negatively because of the pandemic, it's back to the, you know, you got to get with somebody. You got to recircle the wagon and see what options you have available to you. You know, a lot of clients that we work with, they, you know, when they tell us, oh, I spend $7,000 a month, that's our expenses, that's our costs. When we start digging into it, they realize that 2000 of that is, you know, sort of frivolous. It, it's discretionary. They can cut back if they need to. So being able to kind of understand that and get them on a plan that makes sense so that, so that they can weather these, weather these storms. The other thing I'll say to this would be, if you are a couple years away from retirement and you were lucky where the market dropped, you were impacted, but the market has come back. And now you're kind of like, oh, this feels great. I'm back to where I once was. I'm happy about that. This would be an opportunity to look at an exit strategy type approach, having some sort of safety net in place so that you are not impacted again to that extent should this market see the other side of the mountain. Good advice for all of these various categories of older adults who are dealing with the pandemic. So I wanted to turn to some of the economic 
factors that I'm sure you look at every day, you and your uh, cohorts at uh, at your company. So I think probably the biggest question you've been mentioning about the stock market, why is it doing so well in spite of the poor economic news? And is that activity going to continue? What do you think? Well, you know, time will tell whether it continues. I mean, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of it, quite frankly. But um, you know, I also would never have guessed that the market would have rebounded the way it has recently. But I'll, I'll tell you, the way that the market trades, you know, the, the way the market behaves, it's based on what the market feels is going to happen six months from now. So the market is always trading today based on what it assumes is going to happen in the future. So when the pandemic hit back in February, the market took an immediate drop. I mean, it went down huge in a very short amount of time. And, and obviously you have sort of this euphoric reaction and markets kind of get spooked every once in a while when, when, when you have this kind of news that comes out. And it, well, the news I'm referring to is the entire world shutting down. You know, every company for the most part across the, not just the United States, but across the globe shut down. The reason you saw the big drop is because they were, you know, the market was looking, okay, six months from now, where, where are earnings going to be? Where, where are corporate profits going to be? And, and of course, with everything shutting down, it wasn't going to be very, uh, it was going to be a very bleak situation. So you saw the market sort of get spooked and, and you saw what happened there. Now, why did the market turn around? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One of which is the Fed stepped in. The Fed essentially said, hey, we've got this checkbook and there's an unlimited amount of funds in here. And we're just going to spend what we need to do to continue to maintain and prop up the economy. So bonds were failing. Bonds had one of their worst months in, in March, uh, but they were they were right out of the, you know, they, they peaked their head above water almost a month later. That's how quickly when the Fed stepped in and said, we're gonna save the day, the market rebounded really quickly. Uh, the other thing is there was, when you got through this pandemic, there, you know, pretty early on, there was talk about a, a vaccine. Now, nobody knew when the vaccine was gonna come. People were feeling like two years out, but, the idea was that there was this hope that the vaccine was going to be there. And so you saw all through the summer that the market just continued to create, you know, rally, 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 because the assumption was by the end of the year, we would have some sort of vaccine in 2020, which, you know, ended up, ended up happening. So the market kind of rebounded and continued the rally based on the Fed stepping in and the, uh, and the, and the idea that, that there, was, there was this hope that things were going to be better. And again, as the market trades in, based on future earnings and what's happening six months down the road, that's what sort of created this, 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 this comeback of the stock market. Now, I will follow that up by saying this market is trading on the hope and the belief that this vaccine is going to work and there are, no, there are not going to be any hiccups. Uh, but should the vaccine not work to the extent that they hope it does? If the Fed decides to say, look, we've been spending way too much money, we've got to shut it down, we've got to tighten up. Uh, if any of those things, which people are hoping don't uh, happen, but if any of those do happen, those hiccups could derail the markets. And that, that's what could send things into another tizzy. So we'll just, you know, we'll have to wait and see where that's going. But you're right, weird economic news out there, but the market is, is sort of persevering based on the hope that people feel will be back to normal here before too long. And to that point, Jim, do you think that 
flexibility or the you know the way things are going right now with the stock market will widen the gap between the older adults who are retired and have income resources and those who don't? Is there any connection with the stock market situation and these various categories of older adults insofar as financial status? Well, yes. And if you're referring to you know, older adults who have sort of retirement income resources, such as Social Security, pensions, maybe annuities to some extent, uh, you know, it depends on the situation, certainly. But when you have those kind of resources, when you have income that's coming in versus somebody who doesn't, uh, you, you don't have as much dependency on your portfolio to perform for you. Uh, you know, the, the simple example is, you know, if, you, if your annual need is $100,000 a year to live on, that's what, that's what it costs you to live, and you've got $70,000 of guaranteed income coming in, Social Security for husband, uh, maybe maybe spouses. Uh, you have a pension in addition to that. Maybe you have some annuity income, uh, and that's making seventy thousand. Your portfolio only has to produce thirty thousand dollars a year to make this all work. Now, if you're on the other side of that, which most Americans are, which is we don't have pensions, majority of us, uh, and your Social Security only picks up forty thousand dollars of it. Now you have a sixty thousand dollar gap that your portfolio needs to needs to uh, Produce. And so when you have these this volatility that's happening in the market and you're not constantly adding to the portfolio, meaning you're already retired or, or you're in a phase of you know, even giving your assets away at this point, there's going to be a big gap between those who have income resources and those who don't. I think that gap can continue to widen. And that, that's just something we're seeing. We saw that back in 2008 with the last major recession. And I think we'll start to see that here. Uh, if the volatility continues to pick up, it's it's interesting how the news continues to not be that great. But uh, you know, we, it's kind of like stay tuned. I I also wanted to hear from you. Uh, well, we just started a Congress yesterday, but before doing that, in a few days, uh, the new incoming Biden administration will be uh, in office. Any predictions as what changes are likely to occur in the financial markets next year as a result of this new administration? Well, yeah, I think when you have when when Joe Biden be, uh, you know becomes president here later this month, you will you know what he has promised is um, and and this is true of sort of democratic presidents uh, increased regulation. Uh, increased taxes. Now, depending on how that slices up for who gets impacted and who doesn't, who's affected, who's not, uh, you know, time will tell. We'll have to see how that plays out. But overall, those are typically headwinds for the stock market. They tend to take money out of people's pockets in some ways. And, you know, a lot of, you know, if you kind of do the trickle down effect, the way the market sort of behaves is based on corporate earnings. Well, corporate earnings only happen based on people buying things. People buying things only happen if they have money in their pockets. So if you reduce the money in the pockets, the trickle down effect is it could have an impact uh, on the markets overall. So we could see that if, if everything gets passed the way that um, Joe Biden has been has been suggesting, we could see a bit of a headwind for the market. That being said, Democratic presidents, uh, the years of markets when we have a Democratic president versus a Republican president uh, tends to do a little better in Democratic presidencies. The market does so. We'll see. We'll see how that all plays out. 
I know he's also, um, uh, you know, proposing an aggressive infrastructure bill, which is good for businesses, actually. Uh, and, and what you'll find in an example in a situation like that is, you know, industries like the industrial industry, uh, the financial industry, those those particular sectors will, will do well when you have an, you know, an aggressive infrastructure bill. So, you know, we're, we're, we're feeling like we're going to see more choppy markets just because there is uncertainty and markets don't like uncertainty. You might have heard that before. We feel like there is uncertainty coming. We're not sure what it's going to be. And we're sort of betting on the fact that um, it, it could be a little volatile here for a while. You know, but we'll, we'll, time will tell. Time will tell. We've, we've tried to get out of the guessing game and just allow markets to do what they do and we react to them. So we'll see what happens. Any predictions insofar as new tax legislation in the Congress? Yeah, I mean, the current tax legislation expires in 2025. Uh, but my assumption is, or my expectation is that'll, that'll be accelerated. I think we'll see higher taxes. Uh, well, what's been proposed is for, you know, high income earners. So folks over $400,000, I think is what's been currently proposed. They'll see, they'll see higher taxes. Uh, businesses will see higher taxes. Uh, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and for investors out there, if you have a lot of gains in your portfolio, uh, it might make sense at this point. We've been doing this with a lot of clients is to look at those gains and, and determine is now the time to sell them. And let's realize the gains now when rates are still low, when income tax rates are still low, capital gains rates and income tax rates. So there could be sort of a strategic uh, approach to, for investors this time. Okay, well, we're just about out of time. I just wanted to ask one last question about best resources and also be sure to give your website address and how folks can get in touch with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think the resources for, for folks to figure out what to do is, is, again, getting back to your friends and family and see where they can help and, and give you referrals. Um, you know, reaching out to the CFP board and finding out which advisors are near you that you feel like you want to work with if you're more of a do-it-yourselfer. Uh, our firm has been around for, for 40 years now. We have sort of this safety net approach, and this is what we've done since the beginning. The idea is get in when it's good, get out when it's not, and, and just try to create a smoother journey for our clients. Uh, if you have any interest in learning more about what we do, uh, you can uh, go to our website, which is www.fsa, which stands for Financial Services Advisory, fsainvest.com, www.fsainvest.com. And we would be happy to, uh, to help in any way we can. Okay. Well, I want to thank Jim Joseph with a company called Financial Services Advisory for joining me today. Now, if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, please go to our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. And if you go there, you'll find information about all Aging Matters radio and TV show content, past shows, as well as what's coming up. Uh, you'll also learn about Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. So please be sure to visit our new website, agingmattersonline.com. And also while you're there, please sign up to subscribe to the Aging Matters monthly email newsletter. That way, each month, at the end of the month, you'll get updates about the new radio shows that are coming, as well as the TV episode, uh, as well as you can link to previous shows. So I want to thank Ink Mouth Media 
for handling the technical aspects of today's program. And of course, as always, thank you for listening to Aging Matters. And especially uh, since this is the going to be the second program in the new year, I still want to wish you a very happy new year. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org.com.